The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Undrafted though, huh? That's where that's where, that's that's what happens. You give these little facts and you think they're gonna help me, and they actually end up confusing <laughs> me more. Oh yeah, baby, it's Chris Sims unbuttoned. It's Paulie Ben. I stood Chris Sims, and you know when Paulie's in the seat, what do we got? We got quarterback Jeopardy on the list today. I'm always pumped about that. And then, of course, we got four more quarterbacks to talk about on the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. So that'll be good. Hard-hitting stuff. Paulie B., what up, man? How you doing? You know, my unbuttoned morning got off to a better start than last week, Chris, because at this point last week, you were still changing your mind about a couple of the quarterbacks. I think it was Teddy Bridgewater and Jimmy Garoppolo. I didn't get any of those alerts this morning. Everything this morning is the same as last night, so it's already a better unbuttoned day. It's already in, you know, I think I'm trying to think, and I know Pete Dimmelit a little let a light of this is listening to us right now, but uh, yes, at, at sometimes the night before something comes out on my close ones, I can switch it. I believe that is the only one I've switched so far, the Teddy Bridgewater one. There might Sounds be right. one other one uh, that I, I, I might be blanking out on. I'm trying to look at my list here. But I think, no, I think that was it. I think so far, like I said, to start this exercise out, I feel better about it this year than any year I've ever done it. Because like I talked about it with you, I talked it out a lot with some really important football people, whether it was my dad, my brother, a few coach friends who I, hey, look at, how would you talk? What, 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 you know, if you look at these five guys here, what's your thoughts on them and stuff like that to where, I feel about as good as I've ever felt doing the exercise, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of changing these around, you know, going forward. So you don't have to worry, big guy. You doing good? <laughs> doing great. Yeah, this, uh, this really nice run of weather here up in the Northeast has, has made all things about life just a, a little bit better. And even though you feel really good about your list, as always, there are some people out there who, who like to disagree, who like to pick a little fight with you, maybe press the buttons as it relates to the last four you revealed with Ahmed late last week, and that was 26 through 23, I've got some questions, so, some topics to bring up here from our social media friends. Let's start with the fact that Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick out of LSU, came in at number 26. Arjuno says he isn't going to have six seconds to throw a football anymore. Was LSU's O-line really that bad? They won the Joe Moore Award as the best O-line in college football. 
Yeah, it, it was that bad, you know. And, again, I don't know what else to say. For, for the top quarterbacks in this draft, it was the worst pass protection there was. You know, and, again, stop looking at awards, everybody. I mean, the, the, the awards that go on in this nation and sports now are, okay, whose team's the best? Oh, their team's the best. Okay, let's pick the players from that team and give them all the awards. I mean, that's what goes on. So, no, you know, I know he's going to have certainly some protection issues. There's definitely Cincinnati. That's a work in progress. It's a team or an area that they need to improve on their team. But I think that's part of the reason you draft Joe Burrow. It's one of his greatest strengths was his ability to make plays when people were around him or the protection failed him. So uh, I really like that aspect of it. And I didn't know they won that award. I didn't, you know, but I don't know, guys, you know, hey, uh, whoever asked that question, I'm forgetting right now, go back and watch the final four. I mean, are you going to sit there and tell me the pass protection was good against Oklahoma or good against Clemson? I mean, there's people running free every play, every play. So, um, yeah, I, I don't worry about that. And, you know, is there anything more to answer about that question? We can move on from Joe Burrow, actually. It's okay. nice to know we got the juices flowing. We got the uh, Oh, you the, know uh, me. It doesn't take much already. to get these juices going. Don't you worry. <laughs> Two to three minutes. How about in. a nice warm cup of shut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I need one of those mugs, actually. <laughs> we'll get you one. Send those up. Send at least one of those up this way. I got some connections. I can figure it out. We'll get it done. <laughs> Your name's on the mug. I would hope so. And most of the reaction came to the sequence that you had at 24 and 23 with Jared Goff of the Rams at 24 and Sam Darnold of the Jets one spot ahead of him at 23. This is just one example of some of the sentiment uh, that that set off. This is from Aaron.Everson1. He says, Goff is coming off three consecutive winning seasons, two division titles, an NFC title, and a Super Bowl appearance. No way is Darnold better than him right now. Your response? I know. Yep. Well, I know. Hey, you know, congratulations to the rest of the Rams team for not doing anything. Jared Goff carried you guys the last three years. Aaron Donald, you suck. Stop getting – you overpaid chump. Jared Goff's carrying you. You know, again, here we go into team accolades, and you know my thoughts on that, where we're going to give one guy all the credit. Nobody else. Sean McVay, you didn't do anything. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, listen, I understand it was a tough one. That's a close one. I get it. And – yeah, there is the experience factor and the fact that the Rams have been good and that's this big, you know, shiny object to go, oh, gosh, the quarterback plays great. They're winning. They're doing awesome. Listen, he's done very well, and I certainly don't want to disrespect Jared Goff. I, have, I do have respect for him. This is not an easy exercise. But at the same time, you know, again, tremendous supporting cast, tremendous playmaking defense, and – you know my concerns with Goff when McVay and the offense this year, when it did struggle and McVay couldn't crack the code and expose teams, Goff is not the type of talent that is going to make things happen when the offense is struggling. I've seen more evidence of that from Sam Darnold than I have Jared Goff. And, you know, I know Jared Goff, people are going to go, well, what about the experience? All right. I know he's got a little edge in experience, but Sam Darnold – has more of an edge in playmaking ability. And for the experience Jared Goff has, it's not as great of a gap as you would think with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold knows how to play the game pretty damn well. He knows when to throw the ball, when to slide, you know, when nothing's open, get it out of your hand. Okay, live to play another day. I can go back to some Jared Goff stuff and go, oh, here's a, a, a second and one against Cleveland. He's running a bootleg. 
and he slides before the first down or some bad intercept. So what I'm basically saying is just the experience didn't outweigh the other factors of Sam Darnold's playmaking ability in the pocket, his ability to make more happen when nothing's there. And when protection does break down or the pocket's not perfect, Jared Goff really struggles and Sam Darnold thrives. So that's where it's tough. And, you know, I, I understand it, you know, and, and I know there's people that are going to push back against me. I realized this was going to be a big topic when Jared Goff comes out in the mid twenties, because again, you know, I, I, this is like my new goal in life. It's just to show everybody. It's not always about the quarterback. You can win a super bowl with the 24th or 25th or 26th rated quarterback in the NFL if you put the right team around him. And I think the Rams have shown that. And I still think Goff can win a Super Bowl and do good things in his career. I'm not trying to take that away from him. You can at least get to a Super Bowl in the NFC with the quarterback ranked in the bottom half, according to you, which uh, maybe is a hint toward what is coming up in our, our rankings of the four, four guys we're revealing today. You talked oh, about the worst yes. quarterback in football won the Super Bowl in 2015. The worst. His name might have been the most popular, but he was the worst. And he was the worst statistically and literally. And that was Peyton Which Manning. Which one are you talking about? Peyton okay. Manning. Yeah. Yes. He was at a 34-rated quarterback. He was number 34. He couldn't make plays. He left yards on the field. But what did they have? They ran the ball okay. They played great defense. And they kind of managed the game. And Peyton managed the game. They won the Super Bowl. So, you know, people can get over that because it's Peyton Manning. And he's one of the all-time greats. But when they won that actual Super Bowl, he was nowhere close to all-time great level type play at that point. That's all I'm trying to say. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry, man. No, that, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate example. I mean, this is a fun list to talk about. But when you throw that out there and you consider Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo, who's going to show up here soon, also got their teams to the Super Bowl, it doesn't make this list any less fun. But maybe it makes any list of quarterbacks less significant if you realize in the last few years some of the quarterbacks who've gotten their team to that final game. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's the point. You're, you're right. And, you know, we're, again, I, I know I say this all the time, and I'm sick of saying it, but, you know, you build a team, you can make an average quarterback look really good. You know, you, you can. And you certainly don't need a super, superstar every time to win the Super Bowl or do that. You know, again, I, I always go back to my old Eli Manning beat Tom Brady twice. Is it just because he's better than Tom Brady? No. I don't, my dad beat John Elway. How the hell does that happen? I mean, John Elway is one of the two greatest quarterbacks ever. My dad's not in the top 20 or 30. How does that happen? So, you know, that's the points, and I'm just trying to shed that knowledge and light onto everybody a little bit. Who's John Elway sharing that spot with? If he's in the top two, who's, who's with him? Well, you know, my, I, I think Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. I, I still stand by that. You know, my, my all-time top five still would probably be – this is where it's Rodgers, Elway, I think I would go with Brady, then Manning, and then I'm always in between Brett Favre and Dan Marino for number five. And today I'm feeling a Dan Marino day, so I'll put Dan Marino five. Can't go wrong there. You cannot go wrong with number 13 in the all-time top five. Okay, so that, that's a little peek back at some of the opinions that you, um, that you got out there going 23 through 26. And again, it was Darnold 23, Goff 24, Locke 25, and Burrow at 26. Bringing us to today, our next four quarterbacks are 22 through 19. We kind of work our way into the top half, the top half of the top 40 quarterbacks. 
little hint of what's coming later because we'll have some second-round quarterbacks on this list here. Quarterback Jeopardy today has to do with second-round quarterbacks in NFL okay. history. All right? Okay. I like that. I'm already scared because my, my brain just <laughs> went to second-round quarterbacks, and I was like, what? I can't pull any up from my brain right now other than, like, one or two. So I'm a little scared, I'm going to say. All right. But I look forward to it. It'll be cool. There's some pretty awesome names from recent and also from way back when second round. A lot of second round quarterbacks who uh, have their names out there, some for good reasons and some for not so good. Okay, let's kick this thing off at number 22. Name is on your list. Daniel Jones. We're staying in New York, baby. DJNY. That's what I call him. You know, there's DKNY, right? Like Donna I got Karen, you. New York. Well, yeah. this is Daniel Jones, New York, all right? It used to be DJNY, like Derek Jeter, New York. Now it's a new DJ in town. Um, but, yes, Daniel Jones, to me, blew me out of the water in his rookie season. First off, we're talking, like, elite, high-level thrower, passer of the football. And I know come up and just throw flames and lasers all over the field, bombs. He can do that, but he's a phenomenal passer, too. And what I mean by that is pinpoint accuracy, timing, you know, a rhythm thrower who can throw with anticipation sometimes. So he really has it all and throws perfect spirals. Accuracy is amazing. Fearless in the pocket. I know one thing that blew me out of the water, Paulie, is his athletic ability. You know, yep. I saw a little of it at Duke. But, man, this past year, when there was some times when there a hole parted, you know, or a hole presented itself, man, he can rip off 15, 20, 30-yard type runs. He's that type of an athlete. So and he was, he comes, was the, only one, the only one with Kyler Murray to average over six yards per carry last year of that rookie. There you go. There you go. And I would say, really, it's also – even though it's one of his strengths, one of his weaknesses I would point to was go, do it more. Do it more. Daniel Jones because right. you know one of his great strengths is his athletic ability another great strength of his is his ability to stand in the pocket and be fearless and make big time throws now that's like a gift and a curse because it leads to him also losing sight of what's around him in the pocket which led him to leading the league in fumbles this past year so he's got to fix that certainly but when you talk about you brought up Kyler Murray I mean rookie quarterback Saquon Barkley was banged up a little last year. They didn't have a great offensive line for the run game or the pass game. You take over for a legend at quarterback, and then you don't have necessarily the greatest supporting cast around you. Evan Ingram in and out of the lineup. Sterling Shepard in and out of the lineup. Golden Tate suspended for a number of games. Darius Slayton was his go-to guy. And they that just tells me that, that how much – like confidence they had in Daniel Jones and his ability and his mental side to where they like Kyler Murray put the game on his shoulders on a weekly basis and just said okay I know we're not very good Daniel but if you can throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns we'll win today if you don't we're gonna lose and that's asking a lot of a rookie but I really like what I saw from Daniel Jones in year one I give you a lot of credit for how your evaluation of Daniel Jones has evolved in the last let's go back to a year ago April you weren't convinced he was a first-round pick. You, just like me, saw it as a red flag that the number one thing everyone was saying about him to compliment him, oh, he, paid, he played for David Cutcliffe, just like the Mannings. What was your first indication, the first time you, you were watching and thought, you know what, maybe there's a little more to him than I originally thought? 
Right. Well, you know, I'm always at a, a little bit of a, you know, tough spot because I don't always get to see these guys throw in person. I'd like to think that if I saw Daniel Jones in person before the draft, it would have changed my thought or opinion. But nonetheless, in my evaluation, first off, I don't want to be a hater. And I'm not going to be one of these Americans right now that are like, no, this is what I believe and I'll never change no matter how much evidence you show me. No, I'm going to be smart and evolve my thoughts by the evidence I see, right? Like Drew Brees with his whole issue. Oh, wait, I made a mistake. Whoa, I've hurt some people. Okay, let me not be stubborn white American and actually look at it and go, hey, I, my thoughts here are wrong. I'm in the wrong. I need to like readjust and look myself in the mirror. Okay, well, I try to do the same thing at quarterback. And I made a golden mistake of doing what I did a little bit with Dak Prescott. But yet, what pisses me off is like with guys like Jared Stidham and Drew Locke, I didn't do it. But Daniel Jones, I think because of what you said, the, the lack of sexiness with the Duke offense, a very short passing game, and then him being, you know, not the sexiest looking player as far as pizzazz points, I think I downgraded him because of that. And that's where I was certainly wrong. And Paul, here was the first time I knew I was in trouble, okay? I didn't even have to go with seeing him on TV. My dad went to Giants training camp, and he came home, and he called me, and he went, Christopher, Christopher, Daniel Jones. I mean, everybody says he's doing awesome. He's, they say he's doing awesome. And he goes, I mean, Christopher, I was there. Whoa, whoa, I mean, whoa, he can throw it, Christopher, Christopher. I mean, it's perfect spiral. He can throw it as hard as he wants. He started saying things like that to me, and that's when I, the first time I went, uh-oh, Chris might have been wrong on his evaluation on this one. And then, of course, I got to see him on the field, and he proved me uh, very wrong after that. I'm a huge proponent of watching a quarterback in person. I always tell people how much more you can see and how much more you can tell. Uh, I'll follow up if I feel like you left something out. But uh, since you brought it up, what is it you can see in person from someone that you cannot see on tape, even if that person is highly efficient and effective on tape? Yeah, well, something, you know, sometimes in person, you know, or, you know, it just goes for any, any position. First off, sometimes the size of the person, when you see them in person, you go, whoa, this is a bigger guy than I gave him credit for. You know, it could be all positions, but at a quarterback, you can see that, and that makes you believe, whoa, he'll be able to stand there in the pocket. He'll be able to make throws with people all around him because he's so big and strong, it won't be that much effort to throw a 20-yard out route or whatever it may be in the chaos. and because of the different styles of the certain guys and their delivery and the way they throw the football, the TV sometimes doesn't do justice to how fast the ball is cutting through the air and spinning. You know, if you have a quarterback, this is what I always say about Brady, and Daniel Jones has a similar motion. Because they're long and have big hands and square shoulders and long arms, they can throw their 100-mile-per-hour fastball with, like, 90% effort you know, because of their levers. And on TV, it could just like, like, oh, he looks like he's in the park throwing a ball, nice and relaxed. But then you get there in person and you go, whoa, shit, that ball was whistling. That ball's flying mm-hmm. through the air. You know, we knew Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers are throwing the ball hard, right? Because there's the theatrics that you can just see it and then they use so much of their body and everything. So then the ball pops out and you're just like, whoa. You know, sometimes those guys can fool you a little bit. And I think that's, you know, at least what jumps out to me more times than not when I'm wrong about a person on tape and then I see them in person. I think the biggest thing when you see a quarterback in person is you see when you're standing there on field level and put your eyes on it and it ideally you're close to them, 
you see how the ball gets from point A to point B. And when you're watching on TV and you're watching on tape, it's just a brown spot that either gets That's there right. or doesn't. And right. when you're there, you can see the RPMs, which says how well he can control any ball, how well he can cut it through the wind. And you see if it's a catchable ball or not, if it's nose up or nose down, or if it gets to the receiver in a right. friendly way. And those right. are all things you can only see if you're standing right there at field level. And obviously your dad saw it. You saw it a little last year. And it's something we don't get to see a lot of times in the buildup to the draft that matters a whole lot. No. No, you're right. It's the toughest thing about my, my job, really, when it comes to draft evaluation. It is. You know, I'm, I, all I can do is go with what I see on film. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. I'm wrong in my draft evaluation because, one, all right, you know, yeah, I didn't get to see what the guy actually looks like in person. And you're right, either, he, you know, he can move or throw the ball faster or more explosive than you think, you know, uh, or I don't know the off the field issues or, you know, how he is intellectually. So sometimes you're wrong just because you don't have the access to that information. But I'm with you. You're exactly right. Those are the things you can see in person, how fast it spins, the quality of the ball, the effort in which it takes to throw a ball right. really hard. And uh, you're, you're exactly right. Hey, I'll, Brady really shocked me the first time I saw him in person. Yes. Yep. Big Ben. I well, The yeah. first time I saw Big Ben in person, because, you know, he's so big and strong and he sits back on that back leg and it looks like he's just throwing it smooth. But when you sit there and see it, you go, whoa, that ball is cutting through the air right now. He can fire it. So uh, you can't trust TV all the time. Here's one for you that can really get you thinking about Daniel Jones. He was the sixth overall pick last year. Sixth overall pick in this year's draft, Chris, Justin Herbert, who you also like a lot. You get one as your quarterback of the future. Which one excites you more? Oh, that is a really good one. Um, I think Justin Herbert's pure physical ability excites me more. Now, some of the nuanced things about playing the position, I do think Daniel Jones is ahead of Justin Herbert, right? You, you talked about it, David Cutcliffe. You know, yes, he was really well-schooled and coached in college. And then, of course, you know, played a lot last year. You know, I think Justin Herbert's a little bit more of a raw of a prospect and certainly hasn't been in a pro offense like uh, Daniel Jones is. So there's that element that gives Jones the, the advantage. But Herbert... To me, that size, speed, and ability to throw 105-mile-per-hour fastballs and make plays that way, to me, would, excites me just a little bit more than Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones and the Giants, uh, a threat to win double-digit games this year? Uh, that's questionable. I think they're on the right track. You know, they need to stay healthy. They have improved their offensive line. I think their defense is going to be better, too. Um, but – no, I still don't say I could sit here and look at this roster and go, oh, no, yeah, this team's got a chance to be in the playoffs. No, as me as a Giants fan sitting here right now, I'm looking at it going, hey, I hope we can go 8-8 eight and eight and just be in the playoff conversation here because there's nothing on paper or from last two years of football to sit here and give me the confidence to go, oh, they'll, they'll be in the playoff conversation as of December. No, I don't see that happening. I think they're two years away from playoff talk here as far as the Giants are concerned. A lot of talk with any quarterback that the most improvement is from the rookie season to the second year. Now he has former Giants quarterback Jason Garrett, basically a decade being a head coach in Dallas behind him, can just focus on that offense and Daniel Jones' improvement. You think about Jones with Garrett, what's your first thought? 
Oh, I, I, I first off, I like Jason Garrett's offense. People, you know, like to crap on it a lot. I understand that. But it still was the number one offense in football last year. And people need to get away from Jason Garrett when he was the head coach and stop putting him in the box of that was his offense. No, it wasn't always. You know, they had Scott Linehan some of those years we were all complaining about their offense and things like that. When Jason Garrett was strictly an offensive coordinator, they did some pretty special things down there in Dallas. Even when he was calling the plays as the head coach, too. He got out of it because he mismanaged some game situations because he was so worried about the offensive game plan and things like that. And that's ultimately what made him change. But uh, I think Jason Garrett's offense, it's got everything. It really does. And I think the fact that he gets to sit there and just hone in on that and what Daniel Jones can do is, is exciting for Giants fans. All right, Daniel Jones from unranked last year to number 22 this year, bringing us to quarterback number 21. Oh, baby, we're going to Cleveland because I believe Lind. Yes, sir, Baker Mayfield. What's up, Baker Mayfield? He's coming in, quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, Baker Mayfield certainly wasn't his best year in 2019. I know that. But, you know, the one thing, Paul, that I go back to, and I know he threw some interceptions, and that's concerning, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But the one thing I really, when I went back and watched the film, and really why I have him here is, man, does he make a lot of game-changing throws. That's one thing he does. Flips field position or – oh, you know, the offense can't get it going and he makes a big throw down the middle of the field or down deep down the sideline to kind of flip the momentum of the game. And that's what I like about Baker Mayfield. Awesome in the pocket. I mean, he's like Manny Pacquiao, how he can dance around the pocket and buy time and has a great knack for also seeing down the field why he does it. Phenomenal thrower of the football on the run. It's a big-time arm, Paul. I mean, it's in the conversation with one of the 10 best arms in the sport. Now, within that, it also brings some of the weakness, too. His arm, him reaching back to throw it 107 miles per hour instead of just being happy that you could throw it 102 miles per hour, led him to throw balls that are inaccurate at times. I know and you and I talked about that a lot. And also his confidence in his arm sometimes leads him to think, I can get that ball in there like all strong arm quarterbacks. And then you go, no, you can't. Somebody else got their hand in there and now it's an interception. Uh, so those are the negatives, but the, the positives, uh, I still think far outweigh the negatives in Baker Mayfield's game. I want to jump on one of those negatives and doing so go back to when you had him ranked at number 17 last year. We got something written down here that you said at that point, you said, I don't see many weaknesses in his game other than experience. His aggressiveness came back to bite him at times, but he'll learn to manage that. His aggressiveness, and as you just said, his confidence in his arm did come back to bite him a few times. If you are Kevin Stefanski, the new head coach, offensive background, he'll be working with Baker Mayfield a lot. If you're Alex Van Pelt's offensive coordinator there, working with Baker a lot, what do you do in the early stages of this relationship to kind of fix that aggressiveness so he hangs on to it but it's not, a, it's not a big problem anymore. Yeah, well, you're, you're certainly going to have to – you're probably showing first a tape of, like, the egregious interceptions. Like, hey, these are the bad ones. This is stupid. We got to get this out of the game. Then maybe show them a tape of, okay, here's some interceptions that, hey, we don't like that it's an interception, but we can live with. There's a difference. Hey, Baker, do you see the difference between some of these and the decision-making? 
And then you go into the self-inflicted interceptions where you go, this guy was open. You threw it to the right guy, but your feet were cockeyed for no reason at all. Or, you know, I know you and I have had this conversation too where, you know, he's got the football and he's looking to hit it 350 down the middle of the fairway instead of just being happy to hit it 320 down the fairway where he's really reaching back and trying to get extra, you know. So that would be another thing I would look at Baker Mayfield to go, you know, look at this. Well, why? You know, rookie year, Oklahoma, you always kept it tight. You never lost control of the football. What, what were you trying to do? And I would have tried to explain some of those things to him too, to go, hey, you have plenty of arm. We don't need to reach back for more. You have a, he's got a special arm. It's a gifted arm where he can throw the ball just about any way he wants and any position he wants. It's really, it's that good. But I think that's kind of where you start. And I think the biggest thing, though, Paul, and I know you and I talked about this during the season, is I love that he can throw anything like a Patrick Mahomes, feet all over the place, sidearm, laser, down the field, all of that. But sometimes, like you and I discussed, it could be a 10-yard curl route, the pocket's perfect, and his feet are all over the place, and there's no reason for it, and it leads to an errant throw or something else. And that's where he's got to clean that up, too, and I'm sure they'll get on him about that. Kevin Stefanski just spent the last two years, right? spent a lot of years in Minnesota, but the last two working closely with Kirk Cousins. And Kirk easily had his best two seasons individually, also won a lot of games, and he's had in his tenure in the NFL. Do you think Stefanski should show Baker Mayfield here? Here's some examples of what I'd like to see. Take a look at this from the last two years that Kirk did. Is that something that would help him, or should, should he just move on from that? No, I, I think that's some, it's always a great starting point. I mean, Kirk Cousins has been successful in that offense, and I think what you'll be able to do really to Baker Mayfield is go, look at these plays Kirk Cousins making, running the offense. Look what he's – oh, look, look, we're winning games, went to the divisional playoff game. Hey, Baker, I think you actually have more physical talent than Kirk Cousins, so you could do this at a higher level. and. You know, I don't love the Kevin Stefanski offense because I think because I think an offense has to be built a certain way to really make his offense work. Listen, he wants to run the ball, bootlegs, play action. That's about all he wants to do. Well, you know, so be it. Cleveland's offense is built for that. And I do think Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski has a chance to be kind of a special marriage here. And like I said, Mayfield can do what Kirk Cousins does, but I think at a much higher level. He's a better athlete. He throws it better on the run. He's got a stronger arm. Kirk Cousins is just – he's played a lot of football and played on some good offenses, and that's certainly where he's got a good advantage. And I'm not trying to say he doesn't have physical ability, but I do think Baker Mayfield's pure ability is greater than Kirk Cousins, and then we know they got some weapons in Cleveland to do some stuff too. Thinking about the weapons, and I like you, I think that obviously I think Baker Mayfield's physical talent is better and Kirk Cousins doesn't mean he's a better quarterback right now, but no. he does have better, right. better abilities, a better raw talent. How about those right. weapons, though? You line up what Cousins had, what Stefanski had last year in Minnesota, running back to tight end receiver, to what Mayfield has now, along with Kevin in Cleveland. How does it compare? Whoa, I mean, I think the, the potential there in Cleveland is, is greater than anything he had in Minnesota. And I, I certainly – say that with all due respect to Dalvin Cook and Thielen and Stephon Diggs, who were awesome and are awesome. I get it. But I think when you have a healthy Jarvis Landry and a healthy Odell Beckham Jr., I say, watch out NFL. You know, and I think those are two guys that are going to be back with vengeance this year. They're special. As I've told you before, 
I think a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. is one of the most talented receivers I've ever seen in my life. But then you get into, let's not forget, Nick Chubb, one of the best running backs in football. It was a pretty good run-blocking offensive line last year. You know, that's really where I think Freddie Kitchens and them messed up. They played through the passing game and then tried to run the ball instead of they should have just ran the ball and then the passing game would have been very easy. But uh, I, I think that Cleveland, when you talk about, you know, Njoku and Hooper, who they signed in free agency at tight end, and then a, the additions to the tackle position with Conklin and uh, Jedrick Wills, I go Cleveland has on paper the chance to be a top five, top eight offense in football. Here's one for you. What AFC North quarterback coaching challenge intrigues you more? If you could spend your fall coaching Joe Burrow in his rookie season or Baker Mayfield trying to take the next step in season three, which one would you sign up for? Oh, yeah, they're both good ones. I mean, they both got their challenges. Oof, man. I guess I, I, I think what, what would inspire me more, I love Joe Burrow. Don't get me wrong. It'd be really cool to work with him. But I think the fact of the awesome rookie year to the little bit of all over the place second year with Baker Mayfield would motivate me to go, hey, I, I can get you right. I know I've seen it. Year one, I saw all the people. Year two, I saw the two. It just went off course here and there. But I think I would be more excited to go with Baker Mayfield just at this point because of those challenges, being in Cleveland. The narrative's already started on Baker Mayfield. Oh, if he doesn't have a great year this year, do they need to draft another quarterback? Are you fucking kidding me? No. He's the number one pick in the draft. They're not going to give up on him after three years in the NFL. That's insanity. Everybody's got to, like, listen to the words that are coming out of their mouth sometimes. Um, but I think, yeah, they probably would be more excited with everything that encompasses Baker Mayfield and some of that talent around him would excite me more than maybe Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Would you pick that over spending all this time with Florio, myself, and Ahmed? Oh, not even close. You hesitated. The hell was, the hell was Slight hesitation. <laughs> I mean, I can go hang out with Jarvis, OBJ, Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield. Crowd. I mean, you guys yeah. are cool, but you're not as cool as them. But Sorry. <laughs> understood. We'd miss you, but we'd pull for you. I definitely understand okay, why you departed. So 22, thanks. Daniel Jones, 21, Baker Mayfield, bringing us to the top 20 now. Your top 40. Who do we see you got me good sorry you glitched, you glitched out on me there i wasn't sure if you got it all right so sorry number 20 is oh no a guy that was in the super bowl have i messed up go. in my rankings there's no way he could be number 20 and also be in the super bowl and that's jimmy garoppolo jimmy garoppolo san francisco 49ers and you know jimmy garoppolo um where do I start? I think if I'm going to start with the things I like, first off, you know, incredible, incredible quick release. Uh, love his ability to throw accurate throws with cockeyed feet and feet all over the place in the trash of the pocket. I mean, he's really good at that. He really is. You know, has good movement in the pocket, too, just to buy time and find a little alley to throw, all of that. You know, very accurate and the intermediate to short passes. He can, he can pinpoint it. And he can throw the ball from different arm angles, too. Those are the positives that jump out to me. Now, the negatives, you know, hey, 
time, there's some times of some head scratching decision making. There's lack of big time power throws. If you watch Garoppolo and the 49ers, a lot of the throws are right down in the middle of the field where I want to go, yes, that's nice. I get it. But, you know, Johnny from Ramapo High School would hit that one too. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? Okay. So I look at that as, you know, somewhat of a negative. But, you know, the big thing is, is the, the number one detractor for me is not a phenomenal athlete as far as he's not going to run for you and get first downs, but he's, he's, he's a below average, you know, down the field thrower or power thrower, Paul. That's what bothers me. You know, as quick as his releases and how he doesn't need to step into throws to make throws, when it comes time for, hey, the pocket's clean and there's a 20-yard out route and I need you to, you know, step on the pedal a little bit, man, the ball can flutter, it cannot get there, it gets batted down. And it's a lot of times because he throws the ball flat-footed instead of getting his feet underneath them or getting a hitch step involved. And those are some of the, the problems uh, that lead to some of his negative plays on the field. Do you think because of that, that Kyle Shanahan is, is limited with that offense that you really, really admire? Well, I, I, I think probably Kyle likes to throw the ball over the middle regardless. We know that. I mean, that's Which he does really depth. well. He does. He's the master yeah. of it. Exactly right. Yeah. And Garoppolo, you know, because he's a, a pretty twitchy athlete, he can play action pass with his head yes. around, pop his feet, and, you know, get the ball out of his hand that way really quick. But – Yes, I would think just with Kyle Shanahan, you know, yeah, you look at the results as far as throwing the ball down the field, throwing the ball outside the numbers, uh, they're a little underwhelming. And I would think that leads Shanahan more to trying to figure out more ways to throw the ball over the middle of the field. Well, that's great, but see what happened. What happened? We saw in three playoff games, teams kind of go, we know you like to work the middle of the field. And because of that, we kind of saw three underwhelming games from Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs because of that, right? And I think that's well, because two of his them, ability. Yeah. Well, two of them statistically in his defense, they were running the ball so incredibly well that his yes, numbers were, no doubt. were very limited. Super Bowl, I'll give you that for sure. Super Bowl was questionable. Yes. Well, and you know, also don't forget this. In the divisional playoff game against the Vikings too, you know, they weren't running the ball like madmen until they realized Jimmy Garoppolo had thrown about three passes that should have been intercepted that were dropped. And then they, then it was like Shanahan was like, okay, I've seen enough for today. Let's keep running the ball. And they had success and did that. So, but you I mean, you're right. And listen, it's not always easy to play quarterback when you play with the offense that run, 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 and do all that. But I think you've got to have some trepidation. And listen, the 49ers obviously, obviously, have a little something there as far as, you know, they didn't love Jimmy Garoppolo's play from last year, or they wouldn't have flirted with the Tom Brady conversation. You know, there was, John Lynch has come out and said that they thought about it. Yeah, well, they thought about it because they thought, I would think, that Brady's better than Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. Now, I don't know if it'll be two years, three years from now, with Brady at 42, about to be 43, but – I think that speaks volumes in itself. The fact it's one that they thing, were though, thinking Chris. about that. Yeah. Right. I, I agree. But it's one thing to realize in any special situation, take a step back, you're like, okay, hold on. This is maybe the best quarterback of all time who looks like he could have a couple more good years left. This is his hometown. 
maybe we should consider getting this guy. That's, that's one thing. It's, it's, a whole, it's a whole different level with your quarterback to think, maybe we don't have a quarterback of the future. Do you think that's where they well, are? Well, I don't. I think this year is going to dictate that. I think that's still up in the air. You know, I heard Kyle Shanahan say last week that he still he thinks Jimmy Garoppolo has the talent to be a top five quarterback in football, and I agree with that. But you know, just like like we talked about in the playoffs, or you know, some key third downs in the Super Bowl, where I'm going to go, hey, George Kittle's wide open. It's a first down, and you know, maybe you win the game and it's over. And I don't know why, but he wasn't looking at George Kittle. And I know those plays, and I know he was the first read, but he didn't go there. So I don't know why in that aspect. But, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. It is something to say that when a guy like Brady, possibly the greatest of all time, hometown, I understand that. But I would push back to you and go, it's also really weird to have those thoughts when your team was just in the Super Bowl with that quarterback. And he's Fair kind enough. of young and just about to be in the prime of his career. So. There's a little weirdness on both sides of that conversation, I guess, is what we're saying. And spending a lot of time the last couple of seasons talking about Jimmy Garoppolo with you and thinking about the NFC West and how you've talked about Jared Goff and the fact that Jared Goff showed up at 24. There's so many similarities between these two. I want to kind of tie them together a little bit and see what you think. Uh, Number one, these are the quarterbacks of the last two NFC championship teams from the same division in the NFC West. Uh, They didn't – neither one of them played real well in their Super Bowl losses. Right. They're both rated 20 or below. And I think that you believe, and I've kind of bought into this too, they've really benefited from creative, talented signal callers, or, or, yeah, play callers more than those play callers have benefited from them. So why is these two quarterbacks who are very similar, why is Jared Goff four behind Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, that's a valid question. I think the biggest thing I would look at with Garoppolo to where the biggest difference between him and Goff, right, where Goff's arm is more powerful, definitely in that. But when Goff Goff tries to make his power throws at times, he can really lose control of the football. Uh, So that would be an area where I'd go, okay, I'm going to give Garoppolo, like, when it comes to – 20-yard out routes and in cuts and things like that. I think he's more consistently accurate than Goff. The other thing I would say, too, is Goff is not good in the pocket, and that really bothers me. When the pocket is less than or breaking down and people are around him, because Goff has an elongated delivery, and then also I don't think he has natural great feel where, you know, Garoppolo was amazing at moving around and, oh, here's a guy and, oh, and throwing the ball this way, oh, and doing that stuff. He's amazing at that. And, again, both benefit, like you said, from great offensive play callers. But I think when nothing is there, I like what Jimmy Garoppolo does more than Jared Goff. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo has more artistry at the quarterback position and a little more creativity in the pocket to maybe deliver the football over a Jared Goff at times. That's, that would probably be the reason there. But that's a great question, no doubt. How many regular seasons – go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it's close. I mean, listen, I mean, we're right? talking about NFL starting quarterbacks, you know. Yeah. 20 to 24, is, it, it's close. We're nitpicking. We're, we're, you know, picking hairs here. Yeah, and one of the main points that jumps out to me, just like it did last year at this point, these quarterbacks in the 20s are still good. I mean, you would like to have – one would like to have Daniel Jones leading the team what? or Baker Mayfield no or Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Right, So I mean, right. 
the number you, you you look at the number and you're like, eh, they're not that good. That's not I necessarily know. the point. A lot of these guys, twenty to thirty, you'd feel pretty good about starting your franchise with. Hey, I want to throw this this number out there to you. Twenty six. Garoppolo has twenty six regular season starts entering season seven. Do you believe that? I know. That's it. It's I, I, it's crazy. He went Baker Mayfield. Yes. Yeah. Baker Mayfield, we just talked about, is going to hit his 30s. He's in his 30s already. What I was, relevance? I was just about to say that. Yeah. I know. So what yeah, relevance we, we, does that have to how you're evaluating Garoppolo, the fact that he's pieced together until last year, he just pieced together little pockets of impressive times, and now it's year seven, and he's just hitting start number 27. I know. You're right. It's, it's not a ton of experience. Now, you give him a little advantage of experience because he's played with two of the better offensive minds in the sport the last 20 years who have taught him a lot of football and how to play the game and nuances and things like that. So I think that's, you know, probably something I look at there. And, man, I was going to say something else about a point you said there, and I blanked out in the middle of that statement there. But well, um, while you're thinking of it, while you're yeah. thinking of it, it takes my mind back to one of the, the main points that, that I came up with or that really resonated with me about Joe Burrow I know it's a different level, but I talked about how much Joe Burrow was able to take advantage of his first season as a starting quarterback and come back in the offseason and really build off of that experience and knowledge and confidence that any quarterback gets when he goes through an entire season as the guy, and he can really gather that information and think about it and come back a better quarterback. This is the yeah. first season that Jimmy Garoppolo can do that. Season seven is his first in that situation. No doubt. And this is where I wanted to go. You know, okay, two things. You know, again, you're right. So I would expect a big jump. You know, two, I also would say this. You know, another, another reason, and this goes into my rankings and things like that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has a way about him where the team likes him. You've heard the players stick up for him. You know, I, I know from Kyle Shanahan and the coaches there that he's really loved in the locker room. So there is something like that. Now, I'm not saying Jared Goff is not liked. I don't, I, I'm not saying that. But I don't know if he has the same effect Garoppolo has. I've kind of heard this in both places, in New England and San Francisco. And, Paul, to accentuate your point a little bit more, too, you know, again, it is, you're right, it's limited experience. He hasn't played a ton of football. And I don't care that he's number 20. You know, there is room for improvement. And the one thing he just showed us, you know, Hey, listen, he can deliver in the clutch, too. There was a lot of clutch moments last year. I think people got to get the Super Bowl out of their head. You know, I know that was not good. I get it. But, man, Seattle week 17, you know, the Rams the week before that, he had, what, a, a two third and six teams that he completes to help them win that game. You know, there's a number of games throughout there, even the regular season loss to the Seahawks, you know, uh, at home. He drives them down late to get back the lead, and the game goes into overtime and all of that. So I do think there's a, a a clutch factor that Garoppolo has that I can honestly sit here and say too that I think is better than some of the guys that we have just behind him. I, I do I don't think he's rattled by any situation, and I don't think he's even rattled by the Super Bowl loss last year. I think right. he's like, damn, we lost, okay, but I'm moving on and let's go. And I I got respect for that because that's the way you have to handle it. And I think that's a, a big reason why players, a locker room in New England and also San Francisco, they love that in a quarterback. No matter what franchise no you're in, that goes a long way when you carry yourself that way. And that's, uh, I think he earns a lot of respect from those of us watching and definitely his teammates as well. 
Hey, but before I let you reveal number 19, I'm going to set up this quarterback at number 19 a little bit with his correlation to Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo's second-round pick at 19, the other second-round pick from that draft, he was selected quite a bit higher in the second round and has 68 more career starts already at this point of his career than Garoppolo. So a lot of us could guess uh, who this guy is, which your quarterback at number 19 is. Derek Carr, Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, and, you know, I love that. You know, that's a great example. First off, that was like my first year being in the business as far as, you know, NFL analysts, you know, ranking quarterbacks, doing the draft, all that stuff. And that, that was my first year doing it. And it was a year that anybody wants to go back and watch my old videos. I was telling everybody that Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo were better than Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, and Teddy Bridgewater. But you couldn't tell anybody that because Blake Bortles' team was undefeated. And Teddy Bridgewater's team was really good. So how could the, they not be really good? Derek Carr's Fresno State's team aren't good. Jimmy Garoppolo from Eastern Illinois, they're, how can they be better than the quarterback at Louisville? And all, you know, that's, it's just crap. That's what I, this is that's a great example right there to just show you those college wins and all of that is just media hype and crap that we can all jump onto. Um, but getting back to the point, I'm sorry. <laughs> Derek Carr. Derek Carr, man, he's got it all at the quarterback position. There's only one thing I don't like. But when you talk about quick release, good arm, you know, can throw with sidearm, never really loses control of the ball, throws perfect spirals. You know, you don't ever see like Derek Carr throwing interception and go, whoa, that missed the target by like seven feet. No, he might make a bad decision where you go, oh, that was stupid. But the ball is never lost, like, in the realm of the receiver being able to catch the ball that way. He is smart and a good decision maker. He's a better athlete than people give him credit for. He's a better athlete than Jimmy Garoppolo. I know that. And he's got a better arm than Jimmy Garoppolo, too. That's why I gave him the advantage here. Now, if I was going to talk about a negative with Derek Carr, lack of aggressiveness at times, mm-hmm. lack of lack of want to – or just the, uh, I don't even know how to say this, the, the, the lack of, like, step on the pedal, throw the fastball, don't always, what, how, what am I trying to say? Don't always try to place the ball perfect. You know, right. I think there's a little of that too much where I see, I see completions where I go, man, if he threw the fastball there, that guy's going to catch it and run for a touchdown. But instead he threw a changeup and the guy caught it, and that's great, but it was a tackle for a 20-yard gain. Instead of what I would have say, man, if he throws a later, that's going to be a 30 or 40 yard touchdown pass. I think I see that too much. And that's probably the, the yes. biggest negative for me in Derek Carr's game. I think you just answered my number one question. And I'm going to throw this out there because I think when you said his lack of aggression is, is what he needs to have, his numbers are incredibly good. I mean, touchdown to interception, better than, better than two to one. He's in the mid 60s, about 64%, which is strong career completion. He's the all-time leading passer for the, for the Oakland Raiders and Los Angeles Raiders organization. So then you see that, and I have highlighted what's missing. And I think the lack of aggression that you bring up is something that I saw, I think back in, it was either 2011 or 12, I called a game in the Mountain West where it was Fresno State and Boise State. And I was all excited because it's Kellen Moore against Derek Carr. And I kept waiting yeah. for Derek Carr to really 
because I went up and spent, I spent a day with him at practice during the week and he was terrific. He was helpful. So talented. I mean, he was just, he was close to perfect in practice. And I kept waiting for him to cut it loose and to take chances down the field and really go after Boise State. And he never did. I mean, he never made the big mistake. I don't look back on that game and say, well, Derek Carr cost him the game. But he didn't go out there and use all that talent the way that I was really excited to see him do. And I see, I see bits and pieces of that the last few years when he plays with the Raiders, too. I think it's very fair. I think it's, it's a great assessment. And, I, you know, I, I see it a lot in the same way. Hey, listen, all you got to do is kind of look at, look at their games last year. Look at the schedule. Look how it unfolded some of those games. You know, and especially I look at the end of the year where, hey, again, I look at a top 10 quarterback, a top eight quarterback. Oh, the team's not doing great. Okay, big time quarterback. You got to take over for us. Make some plays like you're saying. Let it go. Let it fly. You might throw an interception or two, and maybe you end up losing by 28 points. But at least you went out fighting and giving your best shots and, you know, throwing some haymakers. And I think that's what you're speaking to. And I think when I look at, you know, you went back and, like, I watched some clips and some games. You know, look at week 12 and on, Jets, Chiefs, Titans, you know, games that, okay, you could see, hey, Oakland, they're spiraling out of control here. You know, hey, quarterback, you got to make a play. You're going to have to do something. You got to change the momentum of the game. Do something. And it was kind of like, oh, nah, the team's not doing good. I'm not going to take any chances. Not going to be blamed on me. And right. it's kind of like, all right, we'll just take our lumping today and move on. And I don't love that, you know. And that's something that where, where I was really close with Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr, like Jimmy Garoppolo can make some things happen when the offense is struggling and nothing's there, he, he will go down swinging that way. So he has an advantage over Derek Carr there. But now I would also say where Derek Carr, he might not be as good in that area, you know, Derek Carr is never going to miss what's there to be had for the most part. That's where he's really impressive. If Gruden gets somebody open by three inches, bam, he throws the ball in there and hits that three-inch spot all the time. Garoppolo might miss a few of those. So there's a little bit of a difference where Garoppolo, you might go, hey, here's some throws. Hey, you should hit this. So this guy's open. He might miss them. Uh, Derek Carr never misses those. But I wish he would get a little bit more of that playmaking, aggressive nature that a Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield has. And just let it fly a little bit. And I think that's what you and I are both talking about here. When a guy is at this point of his career, when he has almost 100 career starts in the NFL, can that be developed? Or is this a situation where hey, he is what he is, man, and he's not going to change? I, I think it can be because, I, I, you know, I saw enough in his first two years in the NFL that there is a, you know, that's in him. I, I don't know where he got worried. I don't know if it was the contract or just people talking about his job status or whatever it is to where he became a little bit more protective that way. But I think that will be – I would think that's going to be Gruden's one of his big things this year. It's like, hey, big guy, I, I love your decision-making. I love your accuracy. You're a good athlete. I need you to start making some fucking plays, though. When my offense can't deliver, I need you, big guy, to throw a laser or buy some time like, like a Baker Mayfield or a Sam Darnold, you know, or whatever it is and other guys we're going to talk about. And, and make a play moving in the pocket and doing all that stuff. That's not always what he's best at. He will take care of the ball. Like I said, he takes advantage of what's there. But explosive plays win football games, as you know. And this will be a big year, too. I think Bruden pushes them to do that. 
And, you know, Paul, he's got some weapons around him, too, for the first time, too. We, we, we got to take that into account. That could change you as a quarterback. When you got, you know, just a bunch of average guys around you, it's hard to have confidence in them and to let yourself just let it fly when you're not really sure in the other end they're going to cover you and help you out all the same all the time. Yeah, we're both excited to see Henry Ruggs from Alabama and how he fits into that offense. And uh, Mike Mayak and John Gruden went receiver a number of times in the draft, so weapons are around him. At least they see the talent that is around him. And I think the one the one area that needs to be addressed when you talk about Derek Carr this year, because a number of these things we could have talked about last year and the year before as well. But the quarterback room now is directly tied to the top two picks or one of the top two picks in the 2015 class. Uh, Number one pick, Jameis Winston, is obviously in New Orleans to back up Drew Brees. Number two overall pick in that class, Marcus Mariota, is now with the Raiders. He's there to do what, you think? He's there to be an insurance policy for one, but more than anything, too, I think is to add competition to that room, to just be a little bit like, hey, you know, if we don't win games and Derek Carr, you don't play at a high level, we got a guy here that we think can step in and run the offense and make some plays, too. So I think he's a little bit of both. I think he's more of an insurance policy than anything, but he does have the what I always like to call the hot poker effect. You know, where, you know, the starting quarterback's going to look behind him and go, whoa, that guy's pretty damn good here. I better be on my, you know, A game every day. Because, you know, Mariota's a good thrower. Of course, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's got good size. You know, it's not a guy that Derek Carr's just going to be able to go out in the field every day and physically dominate that way. So I think, you know, that's going to make him raise his game too. And honestly, I'm shocked Gruden hasn't done it earlier to get this type of guy in there. I don't know if the right, right guy presented himself, but – I think those are the two big reasons he's there behind Derek Carr. Hey, Derek Carr is used to starting every game or almost every single game in the last six seasons. Do you think if he stays healthy that he's the guy this entire year? I, I do. I do. I expect him to be. I, I think Derek Carr is he can, he's poised to, I think, open some eyes this year. I do. When you talk about, you know, Darren Waller, one of the better tight ends of football, Josh Jacobs in year two, they already had a good offensive line. They got Nelson Aguilar in free agency, and I know that's not like, whoa, oh, my gosh, but it's still a good player that's going to be a good target for him. And then you add in the Henry Ruggs factor like you already brought up. I would think this is going to be a much more explosive offense. I would have to think Gruden and Carr went back to watch film last year and just realized, man, you can't be run the ball for three, throw the ball for four, run the ball for three, throw the ball for four, and think you're going to beat the better teams in football that way. No, at some point, somebody's got to rip off 40 or 50 yards to take some pressure off of your offense and get points on the board. And uh, I would think that would be a main focus there with the Raiders this year. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. 
more popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Those are four quarterbacks of the day. Daniel Jones, 22. Baker Mayfield, 21. Jimmy Garoppolo, 20. And into the top 20, Derek Carr at 19. It's going fast, man. Must mean the summer. It really is. Right? We are, we are, I know. Well, into the summer months if we're at, eight, at number 19 already. I'm getting there. I can't, you know, I got a few more weeks and I'm actually going to have a few weeks off from work. I'm excited about all of it. You know, that's what I know. When I'm getting down to the bottom of my quarterback rankings, I know my summer breaks coming around the corner, too. Well, even when you're off, I'm still texting you about quarterbacks and politics. So you're not free of that. No, no, you never, never. When you're Christian, you're never – who can ever be free of politics in our country right now? It's just all-consuming, yeah. uh, no matter what side you're on. And then, yes, when you're Christian, uh, quarterback conversations are always right around the corner. One way to stay away from that is to think about quarterback jeopardy, all right? That's where we are at this point of the show. And as I said, it's about second-round quarterbacks. Tied it into Jimmy Garoppolo, second-round pick. Derek Carr, second-round pick. So here we go for 100 points. You ready? I'm ready. I'm a little embarrassed. This is a little bit too easy, but I want to start you out with the confidence and go jog before we run. Okay, 100 points. His first career pass was a pick six. His first career completion the next season with a different team was a completion to himself. Played for four teams. First ballot Hall of Famer. Who is he? You think that was easy? Yes. And I emphasize four. I emphasize four teams. And these are these are all these are all uh, second round picks, right? Every one of them is the, the second Every round. Every single one, second round picks. Everybody's a second round pick. Okay, this four is an early. Teams. Yep. Okay, I'll, I'll read it to you one more time. Yeah, please do. I'm choking my ass off right now. I'm already <laughs> nervous. If this is 100, I'm a deep shit today. First career pass was a pick six. His first career completion, which came the next season when he was with a different team, was a completion to himself. He played for four teams, first ballot Hall of Famer. He was drafted in the early 90s. Holy cow, who am I missing here that's the first ballot Hall of Famer? Oh my gosh, this is going to be embarrassing, Paul. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, the whole reason already. I say the whole reason that in my mind it oh, is I'm easy. Oh, I'm gonna say this is. Oh no, that can't be it. I keep going to first round quarterbacks. That's what keeps getting me. I keep going. Oh no, that's not it. Yeah. So the the whole reason uh, that I so thought I this was going to be easy. Brett Favre. It's got to be. There Brett you go. Favre. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. See? Holy crap. What made I it forgot it was second round pick for a minute. Right. I mean, I Can just, you believe that? I did. Yeah. I know. Shit. Woo. Okay. You got it, though. Right. You got it. Got buzzer it. didn't go off. You're on the board with the long buzzer. <laughs> the friendly one. All right, 200. The Houston Oilers took him in the second round of the 1982 draft. 
He played five years before moving on to an impressive off-the-field career. One of his sons would become a first-round pick at quarterback. Ooh, that would be that would be Oliver Luck. Ding, 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 ding. Two for two. You're hot today. Man, didn't maybe. To... I did not know he was a second-round pick. Had no idea. And good thing you said right? about that about his son. That's what that steered me in the right direction. Thank you. I was going to say his son went on to be a, a first overall pick, but I thought that might be a little bit too easy. Yeah, okay. it's a little too easy. You're right. You're right. He already got 300 points out of a possible 300. To the 300-point question, he was drafted in the second round by one New York team, but also has an important distinction from his brief history with the other New York team. He is still in the league. Okay. So he was drafted by one New York team. And then a brief distinction, and he's still in the league. I'm just looking at teams, just so you know. So, My hands are here. So I'm it's, not a, typing it's a brief history. I believe, I believe one season with the other New York team, but has a real distinction, kind of dubious, and he's still in the league. I got you. I got you. You're right. He's, in the, he's the Seattle Seahawks backup quarterback, which would be Geno Smith. There you go. Woo, three for three. I, it's amazing, though, when you know these facts, but when you're going for real, I just – it's panic mode. When you said one year <laughs> with the New York Giants, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Who is this? Uh, yeah, of course, he'll always be famous. Where people here in New York blamed him for the Eli Manning benching and, like, held it against them, which still drives me crazy. Uh, but, yeah, good – Gino, I think, found a good spot for himself up in Seattle, and I think he's a little bit better than people want to give him credit for it. Yeah, he was the one to make that start. that broke the streak of Eli Manning starting all those consecutive games uh, and then moved on. All right, see if perfection continues here for 400. Drew Brees at 41 is the oldest second-round quarterback still in the NFL. There's also a 34-year-old former second-round pick, also from the Big Ten, who's a backup quarterback in the AFC. Who is he? Oh, backup quarterback in the AFC from the Big Ten. Okay, okay, I like that. Let me just see here. I'm looking at the teams. <laughs> backup quarterback, AFC, second round draft pick. Who am I missing here? I like. The, I, right. I do like the the uh, the the filibuster. While you're, it, it's a nice addition to the show here. I'm yeah. um, I'm I'm very good at it. I'm very <laughs> and I'm famous for saying, "Let me pull up the teams where." I got to look at everything that way and go through it. Um, yep. Wow. Turns 35 this summer. Turns 35 in the summer. What? Who am I missing here? All right. Um, holy crap. I'm really choking here. And do you want to hit? I, I, I don't. I, yeah, no, go ahead. I'm wrong. I don't know who it is. Who is it? He, he's backing up a superstar. Oh, my God. Chad Henning in Kansas City. Right. We'll, we'll give you half the points. We'll give you two of the 400. Nah, How about that? No. No points. Zero? No points. I can't, can't do it. I should have got that, too. I should have got that. You hey, know what? I thought Kansas also. City real quick. I went to Matt yeah. Moore in my, my brain real quick. So, I'm three for four. Look, and Pete did a little light. He says no yeah, way. He's chiming no in. Way. Yeah, three for four. Okay, you jerk. See ya. <laughs> hey, Chad Henney is a guy. We, we, we talked about natural throwers of the football, and if you see somebody throw in person, this guy can throw it. I mean, he's made a living off of kind of bouncing around the league as a backup, uh, but he, he can really spin it too. 
He definitely can. Yes, he can. It's a little bit of that long motion and whatever else, but you're right. When you see it in person, yeah, he can good. he can hum it out there pretty good, no doubt. All right, 500 points. You're three out of four so far. Let's go back to 1973. The Los Angeles Rams took this quarterback in the second round with Dan Fouts still on the board. In his 16 seasons, he took a team to the Super Bowl. He backed up Dan Marino, ended his career in Kansas City, but he might be best known for his time as an analyst. Who is this second-round quarterback? 1973. 1973. I'm going to run back through it here for you. L.A. Rams took him in the second round. Dan Fouts went later in that draft that year. Played 16 seasons, took one team to the Super Bowl, didn't win. Eventually backed up Dan Marino and ended his career in Kansas City. Probably best known to people of a certain generation for his time as a television analyst. Who is this guy? Gosh, wait a second here. And he went to the Super Bowl. He went to the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback or no? Was he just a backup then? Good question. He, he was the starting quarterback and really struggled with interceptions in this game. Oh, my gosh. I, see, what's, what's crazy, you give me more of these clues and I just start to panic. Oh, it's Ron Jaworski. There you go. The 500 question in the bag. Ooh, that scared me. You know what? I'm not going to – I'm not going to – yeah, and Pete Dimalitolaitis just sent a hint on text message that says, hint, he watched a lot of film this week because I always go, <laughs> I'm Ron Jaworski and I watch the film. Uh, I love Jaws. You know, Great. I'm not going to lie – I did not know that he was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I, right. You know, I probably didn't know it, but I've forgotten it since then. And just that threw me for a loop there. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Jaws, Jaws, great career altogether. Better player on the field. He was great in the booth. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Ron Jaworski. Awesome dude, man. When I went from local TV in Iowa to work in the NFL Network out of NFL Films, I used to walk by his office where he was there with Greg Cosell and Merrill Hodge and Sal Powell studying and getting ready for, uh, for the matchup show. And I was so young and nervous. Do I belong here? All these guys were like celebrities to me. Jaws pulled me aside all the time and had something specific to say about, I really like how you did this on that show. This was awesome. Like you kind of need someone to really encourage you when you're new to, at, a, at a kind of a higher level. And Jaws could not have been better about that. So that's not why he showed up on the list. But as long as we're talking about him, uh, awesome, awesome dude. Awesome dude. Always got a smile on his face. Always happy. Couldn't be a nicer guy. And, you know, what, what was he? He was the, the Polish rifle. Is that what they called that's him? That's right. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. He can sling yeah. it. You know, and then, uh, of course, when I was a young kid, he, he got supplanted because I was young when he was really thriving in his career and all that. But in the mid-80s, that's when I really got into football and really understanding a little bit and all that. And just as I was kind of getting a, a clue, you know, Jaworski was getting pushed out the door by Randall Cunningham, who was about to take right. over for the Philadelphia Eagles, who was a lot of fun to watch, too. I've got a bonus question. that You, you did so well. You got four of the five and the 500-point question. You don't have to accept the bonus at all. You can quit while you're hot. Nah, let's go for it. I'm not one to – let's do it. All right. Back in 1997, the first quarterback taken was Jim Druckenmiller. The third quarterback selected, Heisman Trophy winner Danny Werfel. In between, the Pac-10 Player of the Year and Rose Bowl MVP was selected in the second round. You played 10 years with two teams. You have a shared history 
with one of those teams. Wow. I mean, I was going to say Cade McCown right off the bat. Good guess. That doesn't sound like it's it. Cade was a first-round pick, believe it or not. He was. You're right. You're right. He was. So this is a second-round pick, 1997, Pac-12 Player of the Year. In between those guys, who were we missing in that time period? Um, what? All right, I don't know, but so what college team was it? Go ahead, let me just go from there. I'm, I'm Arizona State. Oh, Jake Plummer, Jake the go. Snake. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Jake was fun to watch in college. He really was. He was clutch. Yeah, he was. He's great. Chaotic. Made a lot of yeah. plays. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun to watch. I had that initially in as a 300-point question, but Pete Dilemma-Lamma-Lamma-Litis said go with the Geno Smith one. So. Yeah, yeah. See, that dim a little 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 lightest guy, you can't trust him. See what he did? That was a good question, though, today. I really think they were very good as far as Thank the you. hardness and the difficulty each one. I'm mad I didn't get Chad Henney. I choked on that one. But uh, thanks for having a real nice, favorable buzzard to let that time go <laughs> so I could talk it out a little bit. Thanks there, Alex Trebek. And I also – I think that you getting four out of five is perfect because you, you feel good about yourself. And I feel like, well, he got most of them, but he didn't, he didn't get all of them. Because if you get all of them sometime, <laughs> I'm going to have to be make them really difficult the next time. Yeah, 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 you do. You're right. And don't be scared. I mean, if you want to go harder and make me look like a total idiot and I go, you know, two <laughs> for five or, or one for five, I, that's all right. I, I have no ego. Ego is the enemy, as they say. I try not to be held to the ego and deal with that. I know I don't know everything. This is fun. I like doing it, Paul. You're the man. It's nice to have a little bit of an ego, but have it beat down each, each year. So you're 39. Wait till you're 49. Like, hanging on to the ego, is it gets harder and harder. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I work with a guy that's 55 who's got a big ego. He just had his birthday yesterday. His name's Mike Florio. <laughs> Florio, that's Mr. right. What'd you get him? Mr. Mr. I didn't get him anything. I said, happy birthday, you old crap. That's what I said to him. That's all he's getting from me. Uh, I've <laughs> been to his house, right? No, I've not been to his house. So he doesn't, he, he doesn't need much. He doesn't need much. I'm just, I'm, no, I'm here I, to tell you. I, he's, he's fine. He's living the nice life, all that. But he, he wants next year for his 56th birthday, he wants yep. me to get him a Lawrence Taylor signed jersey who was 56. So, I'm going to have to start working Big Phil for that one right now and uh, have Dad call LT and see if we can get that done. Why don't you get him a weekend with LT? Whoa, I don't think he's cut out for that. <laughs> I don't think he's tough enough and can hang with LT that way. I don't think that's happening. All right. Might make All for right. a fun Monday PFT, so just, just throwing it out there. Oh, yeah. Well, I, well, I would love to get him on PFT. I'd just be scared of what he might say, you know? Yeah. He'll swear and cuss and do things like that. So we might he might end up getting us both fired. I don't know. But good Hit stuff right today, Polly. Good stuff. Thank you. Good to see good you. Job. Good seeing you too, big guy. Um, say hi to the family. Thursday, you we too. got another podcast coming up with Chris Sims on Button. We're going to hit more quarterbacks. I think I got Big Phil coming on on Thursday. He'll him and Hawk complain about it until then, so I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but we, you know more to come on the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. We'll hit all the relevant news in the NFL. And, Paulie, you the man. I'll talk to you. I'll see you next week. Be good, bro. See you, pal. You too. See you, dude.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.